the incomparable. Number 522, July 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is about a movie. It's a movie called Contact. It was released in 1997. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, before he started directing increasingly weirder movies, this is starring uh, uh, Jodie Foster and, I guess, yeah, Matthew McConaughey is also... Uh, it's really starring Jodie Foster and um, and a lot of uh, radio <laughs> telescopes. And it's based on Carl Sagan's novel. So, um, I like this movie. Although, actually, I didn't like it that much when I watched it in the movie theater. But somehow I watched it again, and I've grown to like it more every time I watch it uh, since then. Uh, and I've gathered some people to talk uh, about this. It's not an anniversary or anything. I've been doing a lot of movies lately from like 20 years ago or 25 years ago. It's some anniversary of something. This is not an anniversary of anything It came out. Uh, 23 years ago but uh joining me to talk on the on the occasion of the 23rd anniversary of contact being released it's a big one it's a it's the radio telescope anniversary are the following people david j Lore is here hello okay. <laughs> little radio static from david j Lore. glenn fleischman is also here hi i brought some great excerpts from the golden record to play later on the podcast okay excellent gene mcdonald i hope you're good to go uh five by five <laughs> and john syracusa hello small moves jason <laughs> <laughs> actually small the small moves thing having seen this movie like 10 times now one of the things that i i feel about it is that it has got a super tight screenplay and i don't mean that in terms of the running time because it is two hours <laughs> and 30 minutes long which is way longer yes. than it needs to be i i would say although it is i i you know i I don't know. We'll get into it, but um, it just seems like that's a lot of minutes. But um, I will say this: it is one of these screenplays where the people involved have made it clear that every single element that happens in the movie will be directly related to something else that happens in the movie. It's not exactly economical, but it's almost like screenwriting 101 where you got to plant it here and then like two and a half hours later, it'll, it'll pay off here. I don't, I don't see a lot of stuff that's tossed away in this movie. Everything that happens in the flashbacks when she's a little girl is paid off later. All the phrases are paid off later. Her, her drawing of Florida is paid off. Like everything is connected to everything else in a way that, um, suggests a movie, a screenplay that went through many, many drafts. I think it's just called good writing, Jason. Mm. I mean, uh, things are not paid off in a hackneyed way. They're paid off in ways that that uh, that give credit to the audience to pick them up. And if you don't pick them up, the movie is, you know, it's fine, it's fine. without them. If you if you never make the connection with that drawing, still makes perfect sense, still a satisfying movie. But they're in there if you look for them. I think it is economical. It shows that it was outlined and developed by people who had never written a movie before mm. because it is so excruciatingly every detail pays off and they have too many details for a story that could maybe fill a Twilight Zone. My goodness. Mm. We are going to disagree today. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to disagree. <laughs> I get where you're coming from, David, but I, I don't agree with it. But I, I mean, it could be 20 minutes of story i i would go the other way and say that at 150 minutes i'm shocked every time i see the runtime of this movie because it doesn't feel long to me it feels packed like it's got several extra elements to it but when i get to those elements there's not one of them they're that good. i 
Yeah, there's not one of them that I say, oh, <laughs> they shouldn't have had this in here, yeah. other uh, than Matthew McConaughey, but other, mm-hmm. other than him. Uh, he, he, needs to well, be, he needs to be there. I though. think you need a foil, but I think yeah, exactly. I, I, what I was stunned about, I, I really enjoyed watching this again. Thank you, thank you for deciding to do this for arbitrary reasons like the universe itself, Jason. Yep. <laughs> it's me and the universe, Glenn. Very arbitrary. <laughs> I don't think I've seen this movie for years. I remembered it. I, I've read the book, and I like the book quite a lot, actually. And I like the ending of the book more than the ending of the movie, for sure. Yes. Um, but I uh, <laughs> started watching it. And I'm like, this is just a good film. I, I just, I mean, it just had that sense of like, oh, yeah, that's right. Sometimes you can just watch a movie. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. Sometimes you just watch a movie. It's like, oh, yeah, this is an older film. There's, I don't have to, like, you know, account for things that have changed. I don't have to whatever. I'm just, I'm actually getting into this. I like this. I like the character. I like Ellie. I like a lot of the characters. I like the conflict. I like that there's not exactly a bad guy per se. There is a bad guy, but there's like a, there's like shades of not terrific people. Um, I wanted to point something out, if I may, which is I watched. I was only able to watch 30 minutes in one go, and then I had to watch the rest of another pass. And I stopped watching the 30 minutes. I went, wait a minute. Nobody has gaslit Ellie. No one has told her she's a bad scientist. There's not been that obligatory troll who told her she needs to drop out. I mean, things that all happened to women then and now in science. Well, Drumlin, Drumlin is there. Yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, but, yeah. yeah. But in the first 30 minutes, Drumlin's statement is, you're such a brilliant scientist. You shouldn't be wasting your time doing this. So he wants to take away. Yeah, that's patronizing. He's patronizing. He wants to take away your agency. But he thinks she's incredibly brilliant. He's not like, you're wasting your time here. You're an idiot. Um, and I think that, but that's, and he's ultimately, of course, the not very good guy. And he screws her at every opportunity for the whole rest of the movie. Right. <laughs> right. But he's not, he's not an admirable in any way. He's not presented as somebody, he's not the reasonable skeptic that sometimes comes in that's there to undermine a female lead who is in a scientific role. He is not a very good guy. He's not a terrible guy. He's an opportunist and he gets some comeuppance along the way. Well, boy, does he. Um, <laughs> actually, the thing about Drumlin, and I, I was going to walk through the plot, and I will, but um, since we ta- we're talking about Tom Skerritt as, as David Drumlin, one of the things that uh, interests me about this movie is the way that it handles certain characters with a level of care and detail that I don't see in a lot of movies, and I appreciate it when it happens. And Drumlin is a great example. He is in many ways, our main character's adversary because he is the science advisor to the president and he's going to like cut Ellie's funding and think she should be something different instead of working on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, he ends up stealing her seat on the great machine to go visit, visit aliens and all that. But, and, and you know, he is a very motivated, self-interested guy and he wants what she wants and he has more power than her. But... The thing that I find fascinating about Drumlin is that really his differentiating character is that he's a better politician than mm-hmm. Ellie is. She is a pure scientist who doesn't get the politics. She doesn't get the the facile phrasing. She doesn't say the things that need to be said in order to please people in power. And Drumlin, while while coming across as a, you know, perfectly valid scientist, like He's also a politician and he and and he knows what to say. And so his, you know, evil is really that he's better at talking people who don't understand science into believing him, which isn't fundamentally bad. It's just not something Ellie is capable of. And I appreciate that difference between the two characters. I know a lot of people who are like Ellie, who know everything about a subject and are frustrated that people don't understand them when this other person can communicate with better, but doesn't know as much as they do. It seemed like a good... uh, a good balance between those two characters. And, and I don't often see that portrayed in TV or movies. And that, that is one of the things that I do like about it, right? James Woods is a little more 
stereotypically bad guy. Yes. If, if yeah. there has to be a bad guy. But but he his interests are clear, though. Like, I mean, yes. there is always it is a cliche. But then again, if you're with the military or the government, you're coming from a certain POV. And I think that POV is well, very well represented without them being maniacal yeah. mustache twirling villains. Like they don't just right. want to screw everything up. They have interests. But I but I very much liked the distinction between what Drumlin was doing and what Ellie was doing. And yeah, that's that's not not something you see like, a lot. Like in in those Washington D.C. scenes, she's just totally at sea, where she doesn't even know the right thing to say. And Tom Skerritt knows the right thing to say every time, and you roll your eyes because you're like, yeah. "Oh, brother, this guy." But the fact is, <laughs> it's because he's good at it, and it works, and he knows it works. It's so infuriating because we're on her side, but he he knows when to talk, when to invoke God, when it's necessary to reassure them about big picture philosophical things that she just she's not wired that way she can't do it well she's just she has more principles (laughs) she has principles although you know definitely when matthew mcconaughey says to her uh you know palmer joss says i you know i'm sorry that i had to ask you that question but you know we're looking for a representative and 95 percent of the planet's population believes in some kind of higher power i don't think that's true Whether, you know, but okay i didn't yeah, think it, i thought the number true. was wrong <laughs> no that's yeah. no, no. matthew mcconaughey but, knows what when good pr too right <laughs> apparently yeah former <laughs> joss he's gonna but whatever it doesn't have to be 95 percent, you know for the point to be made that um not believing in god there's nothing you know from our perspective you know and we're on her side and we want, you know, rational, scientific, empirical evidence or so we think until the end. And then, but the fact that she, uh, she can't, she doesn't even have an answer for the question, you know, and that actually she should have known the answer. She should have had an answer mm-hmm. prepared. Yep. She should have had a lot of answers prepared, but she, she thinks she's smart enough to just answer questions with, you know, the truth and that'll mm-hmm. be good. And that's, you know, as we know, doesn't really work. And I think that that's another interesting thing about this movie is that she's not the representative of everything that's good in this way. She's the representative of science and rationality. And the filmmakers definitely want to have this movie be about trying to find a balance between kind of like science and and religion or spirituality when you're thinking of of Mm -hmm. aliens and what our role is in the universe you can make the argument that it both of those things are part of it because it's what is the meaning of life and why are we here and it's also the scientific details of um, building a wormhole machine and all those things but the the (laughs) argument i mean i don't i don't know if the movie like i i can watch this movie and be pulling for ellie all the way and also also think to myself i'm not sure she just because she found the radio message from the aliens i'm not sure she's the right person to go like i don't i'm not sure those two things are connected um you know for all those reasons yeah she would she wouldn't even be a candidate i was i was was watching this with my daughter and i said like the most unrealistic thing in this movie is that she would be a contender at all for this position because the position like it's like what do you like this isn't because you're the scientist who discovered it you don't want scientists just to go in space while you'd made a discovery you have like anyway yeah it's it's, it's, obviously she's our main (laughs) character and it's silly but really they didn't spend too much time on this in the movie. I never read the books. So I don't know how they dwell on it. But the idea of like, who who would you pick? There's a crew in the book. There's several people. So it becomes a, it's easier to say that she's a specialist on the team and she's on there because she's studied the signal. And In my head canon, she is there because 
she has become famous for being the discoverer. Yeah. And so it's there's good PR and having honest. her in the candidate. And you know, it's Gerald Ford's son who's supposed to go, right? And 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 if you didn't notice, there's right. the guy who drops out because oh, his kids oh. don't want him mm-hmm. to go. And that's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's Gerald Ford's son who uh, is also uh, also Sally's uh, boyfriend before Harry and when Harry met Sally, <laughs> same guy. Great. He's only in like five that. movies, but this is one of the movies <laughs> he's in. Perfect. So, so in the background, it looks like you know that he's the one who's going to go, and and Drumlin is there because they're going to let Drumlin be a part of it, and Ellie is there for PR, like and and that that they're the Americans who have been selected, and she's not going to go except. In the end, you know, she goes because of her relationship with Haddon, which we will talk about with John Hurt. But that's she's not going to go. She's there because she's kind of a scientific folk hero. Yeah, the, the movie doesn't tend to, any, and to spend any time thinking about who should go, other than that brief thing of like, oh, it should be someone who's representative. But like, really, like they they have in the movie, they know so little about the purpose like we know what happens so we keep saying go but they don't know if someone's going to go anywhere or do anything or if they're going to meet aliens so who you would pick is like completely up in the air there's no time for stress either the big thing is they spent i think one of the one of the great realistic parts of the film uh i think it's depicted really well is kind of uh part of it like bureaucracy how governments work government spending uh political stuff like i feel like the mechanist mechanisms of that are pretty good and the whole reason i think there's an artificial sense of urgency is we just spent a half a trillion dollars on this. We are going to press the red button soon, not like study it for five <laughs> years and power it up and down. We're going. Yeah, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief to, to get you to the plot because re- a realistic movie like this would have been a, a series of movies and it would all just be about funding and how long it would take you to try to build something and all the doubts about whether you built it correctly. A trade, found, a trade federation and, yeah, like they, they figure out funding. They figure out two plus two equals four and then it's like, then a miracle happens and big machine. That's what you need, that's what you need for the movie to progress. Even there, that's, that's part of what pours me to tears about this because I saw it in the theater too and I liked it then. But I, and I, as it went on today, I remembered why it angered me at the end of it the last time, but it was just like, yeah, another funding thing. Oh, yay. Another hearing. Oh, please. I was shoot struck me. this time that it, it, thinking about it being two and a half hours long, it's essentially two movies because there's the movie that's about discovery the discovery of the signal. And then there's this other movie, which is about what if we make contact with them and we build this machine and is Ellie going to go or is somebody else going to go or whatever. And that could in fact be a totally different character doing that second part of it. But it it is a more cohesive whole because she's our main character having her take the whole journey. But it's two very different movies. I love that about this movie. The first 25 minutes could be a whole thing like until the moment when the signal comes and you could be like, this becomes this journey of self-discovery about are you on a, you know, you could see a 70 or 80 year old Ellie who's spent her entire life not heard anything and has rejected a life with Palmer Joss and he becomes famous and then that could be an entire series of like pursuing futility until they get until they decode until Haddon decodes the message I mean that's one movie and then and then there are some time jumps and all of this and it becomes another movie that's more of like a an astronaut uh, space exploration movie and I John I think what you were trying to say there is like it's way better that it's one movie and that Ellie is in the through line there but it does feel like it's sort of two stories are being told back to back and that's one of the reasons why the movie's so long I don't feel like it drags but I feel like it's so long because they're kind of telling story one and then that leads into story number two in, in long novels and in long movies one of the things I like about them is that um, by the time you get towards the end of the movie, you think about what it was like in the beginning of the movie and you think about how far you've come. This is true mm-hmm. in a lot of very long novels, especially if the novels cover a long span of time or if they're, you know, 
a lot of traveling going on or whatever. But like the beginning of this movie is like a gentle movie about a kid who who has a difficult childhood, but is bright and becomes a scientist. And it like like you start watching it like, oh, I guess this is going to be like a character drama about a little girl who becomes a scientist. If you didn't really know anything about the movie ahead of time. Right. By the end of the movie, there is this CG spur, uh, whirly gig thing shooting sparks <laughs> out in the Japanese sea and someone screaming, OK, to go into a microphone like this is the same this is how where we got from the little girl listening on the ham radio as sure. the nice music plays and i love that i love that this movie takes <laughs> it reminds me of another movie that i just watched with my family recently also starring matthew mcconaughey interstellar which has a lot of farm yeah. stuff in mm-hmm. the beginning and by the yeah. end there's a black hole and there's things exploding <laughs> and it's just like it's like wow and i love that i love that kind of journey to take you and and you know obviously the journey has to, you know i would say this does a much better job of the journey than interstellar does I, but I want to be taken there. I want to be taken from these small beginnings because at each at stage, you're like, if you had seen this movie for the first time or if you're looking at it with the fresh eyes, you're like, are they going to go there? Are they going to do that? And at every stage, you're like, yes, they're going to do that. X, yes, we're going to do that. Yes, a terrorist is going to blow all this stuff up. Yes, there is That's a second great. one. Now she's going to go. Like, this is the type of movie where you could be watching it. I would have been so frustrated if you didn't get to see her go and do all the stuff. Like, mm-hmm. if it yeah. ended with, like, her getting to go in, it's like, no. The movie's not going to end. We're going to pay off. We're going to put her in the thing. She's going to do it. You're going to watch her the whole time, and you're going to watch her come back. And I don't know. That, that's what I love about this movie. I can see how people could think it could be too much, but I'm with Jason. Never felt like it dragged, uh, and I loved you know the, the distance it traveled from its very humble, very simple, sweet beginnings to full-blown, 100% special effects sci-fi. Going through wormholes. <laughs> going to other yep. stars. Let's take a break from all the talk about contact just for a moment to talk about coffee. Instead, this episode is brought to you by Rhetoric Coffee. And I am once again, this is four times now, joined by official coffee elf, Erica Ensign. Hi, welcome to the ad. Hello, coffee elf reporting for duty once again. Happy you, to be here. Are you properly caffeinated now? You know what? I am not, Jason. Oh, I no. have been kind of I've been kind of feeling off all day and I realized it's cuz I woke up and had to do a podcast and didn't have time to make my coffee and my day has just been all wrong ever since. So I was worried and then you turned it around right there and made it about the coffee after all. So I oh, love yeah. it. Oh yeah. Mhm. Well, so our sponsor is Rhetoric Coffee. They are a subscription and farmers market event coffee company so you can find them at farmers markets but you know also if you can hear my voice you can get them to to send you coffee on a regular basis they're from uh the east bay berkeley and oakland california where i used to live where i went to grad school um and they also commission original art directly for artists the little labels that go on their coffee which is pretty awesome so every bag has a special something to it and is a unique work of art now erica the ad copy has asked me to ask you (laughs) What's your coffee routine like? Uh, my coffee routine, well, you know what? On the weekends, it's usually uh, whenever I roll out of bed, I will open the cabinet and take a look at all my coffee makers, decide mm. which one I want to use. Uh, and I would say that the the little stovetop uh, mocha ones, the like, like little silver, they look like a, a croton from Doctor Who, if you're familiar yep. with that. I have one of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that tends to be uh, used on the weekend more often mm. than uh, than during a weekday. So uh, that's fun. I also have like a tiny little one and a tiny little cup that I can just pour it into. It's so very, you know like. Here's my question: mm-hmm. Are you when you're looking at the equipment? Do you are you saying to yourself which equipment makes me feel 
happy to make coffee or are you thinking about the end product? What, which end product of coffee do I want to use this equipment to make for myself? <laughs> the answer to that is yes, Jason. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. <laughs> I, I, it, I, they, they both factor in. You know, sometimes I want like the really strong, strong coffee. And sometimes I just really want to hear that uh, the quote unquote characteristic gurgling that you get from making it on the stovetop. All right. See, I, it's great. That's great. I don't know anything about this. So this is why you're here. This is why you're my coffee, <laughs> coffee elf and expert. Coffee expert. You've been promoted. You're now the coffee Whoa. expert. <laughs> I know. It just happened. So Rhetoric Coffee goes to great lengths to assure fairness, which is really nice. They purchase Farmgate Coffee for their coffees. This is a program to ensure that the people who grow the coffee are justly compensated, but also in how they pay and negotiate with the artists that whose art is used on their labels, uh, which I think is really nice. And they use a, uh, a smart roaster, a lowering smart roaster for all their roasting. This is apparently an energy efficient, environmentally sustainable uh, device it roasts better tasting coffee, they say, too, because they're committed to quality as well. And most of the coffees they purchase score, as we know, an 86 or above, which mm-hmm. we think is probably out of 100, although possibly out of 86. I don't know. Well, ah. no, it's above. So it, it would be out of 87, 88, something it could like be, that. Yeah. It's good. It's a good score is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Don't 86 your coffee if it's got a score of 86. Yeah, exactly right. Good point. Excellent work. That's why you're the coffee expert. Now, if you start the day with coffee like Erica, check out the good work that the folks at Rhetoric Coffee are doing. Go to rhetoriccoffee.com right now. You can get 50% off your first purchase by using the code incomparable at checkout. That's a great deal. 50% off. Go give them a try and they will ship to all sorts of places. Even Canada, I hear. Thank you to Rhetoric Coffee for supporting the incomparable. Erica, thank you for being the coffee elf slash expert in this series of four Rhetoric Coffee ads. I have been pleased to be your coffee elf expert. And now back to the podcast. I saw it in the theater the first time I saw it. And this is my second time seeing it. I was excited to watch it again because I did like it. But it it felt like, you know, when I saw it the first time, like, yes, it's good. I, I was, you know, felt like the, you know, the chemistry, the Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey thing didn't totally work but that was fine because they didn't make a big deal out of it um you know from on a personal level but this time watching it and maybe it was because i had forgotten it was two and a half hours and then i was like i gotta watch this movie now and i'm thinking oh it's two and a half hours and i'm gonna be cutting it close to podcast time and then some of the scenes i was like do they really really, really have to have this part, this little, you know, transition from walking from this point to that Mm -hmm. point be so long? Or did they have to throw in one more thing or one more like collage of news things or whatever? Mm -hmm. Like there were a lot of things. There's a lot of CNN. (laughs) I don't think it's a twilight zone. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's five times too long. I would say it's like it could have been closer to two hours and still had everything that we like about it. it. I like some of the the luxury they took, though, is that um, it you know it's not like suddenly movies in the '90s were all bloated or something or had the time, but there is something. Uh, I feel like when I watch newer films, they're maybe cut really much tighter, and I don't want to make presuppositions about um, attention spans or anything like that. But I I did kind of like that, like the the scene with the plane and Haddon, like she gets the direction, she goes to the place, she's on the helicopter. There was something mm-hmm. about actually taking steps to do it, to set up the mystery of this person, to set up the unusual thing. I thought they yeah. hit the beats right. That's almost 
a William Gibson kind of plot twist, right? Where where it's like, where are you, where are they taking? Who is behind this? Why yeah. am I on a helicopter and in a plane? I love the super weirdness of Haddon feeling compelled to have to show her her own life, which she obviously knows. Of course, yeah. it's a little weird, but he's trying to show the comprehensiveness of which he has actually been paying attention to her and her work, which is interesting. Well, too. He's telling the audience, too. We already know this. Well, some of it. <laughs> we're, we're not learning anything. And why are we learning it? No, I think it's but I think it's about him. Why does he care what he's been? He's cultivating tons of people. I just wonder that, you know, obviously this they had Carl Sagan involved and like when an, I, he did passed away during the filming right or yeah. before the film at, at the very end and right so I, I felt like maybe it had you know that well the author has a little too much control i don't and, think so. i don't think he had any they, be cut out no. they wrote like five different screenplays of this I, I think they were involved definitely but i don't think mm-hmm. that's it i will say about um about robert zemeckis like robert zemeckis is a guy who always wants to kind of push forward filmmaking technique and that's led him to some very weird places in his career but the scene that you mentioned gene that's a scene that in 1997 was amazing if you knew the background of it but i think this is the point is that nobody knew the background of it but robert zemeckis was really proud of it because that's the scene where she's out in the desert at the very large array in new mexico Mm -hmm. and she goes through the double doors and up the steps and into the room and talks to her guys and of course the exterior was in new mexico and the interior was on a soundstage in la and using amazing cgi and movie trickery they made it all seem like it was in one place Mm -hmm. which is fine except as David would point out, who cares? Like, who cares? So it's oh, that, that's a yeah. great shot. Are you kidding? Who cares? That that's shot. a great. That, I have that specifically in my notes as as a movie, a movie showing the excitement of scientific discovery, which is very difficult yeah. to put on film, and I think that captures it exactly. I was thinking. I, I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. I was literally laughing at the excitement. The, the shot that I prefer is the shot <laughs> like that is liter- that is also quite showy, which is the shot involving her going downstairs to find her father collapsed of a heart attack and running upstairs. Oh, and we yeah. actually and and then this whole tracking mm-hmm. shot is revealed as being in the mirror and then it, of of the medicine mm-hmm. cabinet and then follows her back down mm-hmm. the stairs because that's also a shot that doesn't need to be there. But that shot every time legitimately makes me go, oh, uh, what? Right. But the the other shot yeah. is although it does. Con- Convey some enthusiasm. It's also the director showing off that he's tied his location shooting to his set, and I don't care about that part of it. I care about the 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 premise, but I didn't see any point to it. And it's like we already know something's happened. Um, get to your father's medicine. It's just a cool trick, though. No, I mean, just... I don't think it slows down. I don't think it slows down the movie. <laughs> I, I think care. it's part of the excitement of it. Well, okay. It's a, yeah. it's a standard shot of just like, oh, something has happened and you go into slow motion and you see how dramatic, traumatic it was for her and everyone. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it was like the mirror part of it isn't necessary. That Exactly. Although, but but I don't. But it doesn't take anything away. It's not like oh they did that mirror thing and now I don't like it. it I mean, if anything, no, it that, shows. It did. That's exactly what it did because I went, why did you go through all that to show me that it was in a mirror? And the only thing I'm left with is, why is it in a mirror? And that like took me away for like 20 seconds. <laughs> Whereas going, I, I say that that it is something the audience knows and, and it makes you think this is kind of weird and unreal and you're I mean, showing yeah, me the trick. It makes it feel surreal because exactly. she's out of, having an out-of-body experience in, in this time of you yeah. know this traumatic event. Like it, it's, it's motivated by the, the surreality of the situation and it's not showy. Mm. I bet a lot of people watch it and don't, 
even know that it's there. They just think, oh, slow motion running, she's sad. That's mm-hmm. all they think. I think it's a visual non sequitur. I do think that that it makes you... But that's my point, is that I don't know where they shot, whether they shot that movie uh, in the building next to the very large array or on a soundstage, and therefore seeing her go through the doors and up into where the lab is doesn't mean anything to me. It's just her going through a door. I didn't even know that shot was supposed to be impressive in any way. I literally thought they filmed her <laughs> running from the desert into the building. That's how little I know. Like That's how little it's, you know, like what, like they could have just filmed her running into a building. <laughs> Full disclosure. The, the shot I was thinking of where I thought, can she just get in the pod already? Like, uh, they, you know, that's called building like the tension. Whole bu- yeah. there was a lot of tension already being built up. <laughs> and uh, I think she... I don't. I, I mean, not to mention the amount of interesting, but uh, and fascinating. You know what happens once she's in there, but it goes on and on and on. There are several scenes where we have to watch people walking from one place to another, and that that is something that this movie has. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's probably an aggressive two-hour cut of this movie, uh, but uh, you know, I don't feel like it. It needs it. I think as somebody who's watched a whole lot of space launches, uh, you would be cheated if you didn't have the mm. person walking out across the gantry and being put into the spacecraft uh, before the end of the movie. I think it, it, yeah, it's I mean, mandatory. That's legitimate. I mean, this is this is a procedural. It's you know, it's just not about cops. It's about scientists and astronauts. Yeah, no, one of the things I have in my notes, speaking of that, is this movie also does, I think, a good job of showing the monotony of science. Yes. Like, yes. Is, like if I don't like movies in science where everything is always whiz bang happy, you see a lot of what science is actually like, which is people doing a long, doing something for a long time and nothing happening. Show people who are <laughs> tired. You show people, you know, in front of the computer for a long time with headphones on, listening in the desert. Obviously, they can't show you, hey, it's taken years and years of research to get to this one eureka moment. But that's what they want you to feel. They don't want you to feel, hey, I became a scientist, and the next day I made the me- most important discovery uh, humanity has ever made. No, she puts in the time. She has to go around. She has to get funding. May find that boring, but I think it it lets you it, it makes it more it makes it feel more worthwhile when she makes the discovery because you know that uh, it, science is long and boring, and most of the time you don't get any discovery. And she sacrificed I, I, other better paths for this because she believes mm-hmm, in it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to I want to raise an objection to uh, to Jean's point about Matthew McConaughey, who is very handsome. So that's my point. No, I, I actually, did. I not say he was handsome. I don't know. You thought? I actually thought. I thought Jodie Foster. I thought Jodie Foster did a great job. I I liked the fact that things were very casual. That they didn't blow it up into this huge thing. That he was very comforting. That while he his relationship with her was was complicated in terms of what he wanted from her. I thought he was generally supportive and encouraging and encouraging of a dialogue. But I actually kind of liked the way they sort of fell into things, fell into bed, fell out and fell into comfort. She walked away because she had was pursuing her career. She wasn't going to stop it. because that, that, That's not stand. why she, that's not why she walked away. You got to pay attention to these scenes. They're so why long. did she walk just, away? Yeah. Because he said something about her father. Oh, no, no, and... no. That's the first part. No, that's the first part. But she keeps looking at the number. But then it's like she has a direction. She goes, she doesn't try to. Re- she's right. She has already kind of turned herself off. But she also has this direction she can go. And she doesn't stay. She doesn't try to resolve that issue. That's not her focus. Her focus is on moving forward. Well, he does screw her at the end. He does suddenly feel possessive of her and decide that he's going to side on her behalf. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 because I love you, you're not going to go to space, which is terrible. And she should it never is. go terrible. back with it. It is, but he, admit, he admits it, though. <laughs> yeah, so that makes it okay. <laughs> no, not really. But one, of, one of the two things that made me angry in 1997, and this was the one that I had forgotten until watching it today, is at the end, 
he gets the last word. He gets to yes. validate her. Yeah. yeah. And and why do we have to wait for Matthew to validate her thing yeah, after we've, we've spent two and a half hours with her? Like a whole inauguration's worth of people out there in front of the Capitol building. <laughs> but I feel like part of his role in this movie is to be arm candy. And so and part of like totally. she, yes. she, she's our hero in the movie, right? And I feel like at the end if she decides to forgive him for his unforgivable thing, yeah. basically one of her consolation prize slash rewards is she gets Matthew McConaughey because the movie wants you to believe that <laughs> the movie wants you to believe that she does have the hots for him. She does. True. She does actually, you know, take off her glasses and turn around and tell him the thing. Like she, she actually does have the hots for him in this movie according yeah. to the script. This, maybe there's not chemistry, but that's not really I, the point of this. Movie. I like the but chemistry. In the I end, work for me. She, she just wants to go into limo. <laughs> she doesn't want to make a statement. He does because he's right. a big stupid ham, and the statement he makes <laughs> makes her think oh he's he you know he's trying to be nice to me after all so she gets the guy also at the end. this is ellie who doesn't know how to communicate things about this nature and and tom scarrett is dead and therefore matthew mcconaughey sort of has to be the one uh to say and he and he couches it in terms of belief which is the theme look i don't love the presence of this character in the movie there there's if you read the wikipedia page you'll find about all sorts of asinine things that they that the executives <laughs> tried to insert in this screenplay honestly uh, palmer Josh is the least objectionable of all of those things. <laughs> he has the last word in their relationship in the movie to us. There's nothing else in the limo. There's right. nothing else. But the movie has the them. last word on the whole. We'll get to that when we get to the ending. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like it fits his character because he is a gigantic ham. That, and his that whole fits life his is character. Absolutely. I'm just saying. I'm saying we don't. We the audience don't need him to validate her for us. And that's how the movie leaves them. No, they, they want they want you to know that she believes. Oh, he he's on my side now. Therefore, I'm going to accept him back as my my man, Bimbo, and he will be my arm candy. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, she can do better. The end of the book is a little <laughs> more sure satisfying, not just because of how they choose to do it, but it's also because it doesn't it it gives her uh, the moment of agency and sort of confirmation. So she gets exactly. the big action at the end, and I think that's more. I'm act, I'm a little surprised they didn't try to. I don't know. There are ways they could have done it in the film, but I but, think but, but really... that fits her character. That's another thing about her character in this movie. And another reason I really like it is that her character is not uh, the typical female hero where they insist that she has to be tough as nails, assertive, strong. She is very vulnerable and shy and not able to speak well publicly and very often doubts herself and gets emotional and does all these things that typically you're not supposed mm. to do if you're the hero of a movie. And she does them and they never shy away from that. They never say, and then she learned to be an assertive person and live in a man's world. And no, she never does. She's <laughs> always a right. mousy, shy, awkward scientist because that's who she is. And the movie says... There's nothing wrong with being like that. You shouldn't be shamed for being like that. If your big, stupid ham of a handsome boyfriend guy wants to get out and talk to those people, you're not lesser for it because you decided you wanted to go into the limo. I, I think the movie accepts her for who she is and does not demand that she become, you know, Sigourney Weaver or whoever, not to, not to put down Sigourney Weaver. And I like that. I mean, even if she had just said thank you to him at the end, let her make that point. Jason, John, and I were on the Arrival uh, podcast, and yeah. I would say this is a very interesting movie to compare with Arrival because I don't yeah. think I don't think Arrival was uninformed by contact in any way. <laughs> um, and Arrival is such a spa I mean, such a spare, beautiful. I mean, it's a very economical film that has you know again sort of weird, problematic, rom romantic relationship in it as well. But I think it resolves some of the tricky issues um, in a, what is a more satisfying way. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. It's well, I think too. the original story was probably huh. 
written uh, after after having read or seen contact because it's very yeah it has it has interesting echoes i do wonder if my initial disappointed reaction to it in the theaters was that i was going to see a space and first contact movie and what i got is a movie that is about the it really wants to be about a conflict between science and religion, essentially, which yeah. I got to be yeah. honest, I'm not sure it entirely delivers on that. It does a little bit, but nope. I, I'm not I'm not sure it really I, I think it delivers extremely well in a particular way that I enjy. Again, we'll get to when we talk to the end. I just get I got frustrated watching the movie that there are several points where where uh, Ellie is put in a position. And again, I was really identifying with Ellie here where she says, well, we learned this thing. And they're like, oh, but you didn't mention God. So get out of the room. And I thought, who? Who are you get you get out of the room this is science it has nothing to do with <laughs> that's that. very realistic though it's very fascinating yeah. the, the idea that she would yeah. be anywhere near that committee yeah. when right? not being yeah. not giving right. lip service to god like that's why that's why she says like drumman tell them exactly like yeah everyone has to tell them what they have to say that's what being in front of that committee means you have yeah, to tell them briefed. what they want to hear yeah. you know drumman doesn't believe in god he's just telling them what he wants to hear i i do love his little speech to ellie where where he just says, you know, hey, I, some of us do the things that we need to do to get what mm-hmm. we want. Exactly. And I, I admire you that you don't, but you're going to lose. Because- yeah, <laughs> but it was great because you usually don't see, you know, usually people are evil or bad or motivated by blah. He was motivated entirely by self-interest and he was willing to state it. I got what I and wanted. And he was a jerk about it. And then, he, and then he blew sure, up, which right. was satisfying. Yeah, he blew up. Right. That was the, the, the way <laughs> we well, in our <laughs> blowing up. He was killed by religious extremism, everybody. Uh, huh? What? <laughs> I heard that was a right-wing militia. It's not extremist. Let me take a brief break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor, Pingdom from SolarWinds. Now, while you've been listening to this podcast and joining us talk about aliens and science fiction and Matthew McConaughey, how would you know you're so thinking of Matthew McConaughey and you're just dreaming? Because he's so dreamy. And then uh, while you've been doing that, your website went down. No, no, you are lost in a reverie. And your website is broken. You Your customers can't buy things now. It's terrible. And you don't want that to happen. You need something to tell you that everything on your website is running smoothly. So you can think about Contact and Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey without any fear. And that's why you need Pingdom. That's right. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month, more than 400,000 every day. Pingdom helps keep your sites and the sites you love Online, doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you'll need alerts about any critical website issues. They'll let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage. They track and analyze your website's load time so you can tell what's affecting the user experience if your site is getting slow for some reason. No matter what the size of your site is, you need Pingdom. There's a no-fuss approach to getting started. Just give them your URL. That's it. They will take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell, my last name. Right now, you'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you, Pingdom from SolarWinds, for supporting the incomparable. I usually love Tom Skerritt, and I and I loved him in this. I was like, because that is yeah. a very fine line to play instead of just being, you know, mustache twirling evil yeah. or self-interested evil. I think his best character moment was when he pulled himself from the committee so he could be one of the participants <laughs> yeah. because that showed that underneath it all, besides him just stealing credit and wanting to be the biggest dog in the room in terms of the science stuff, in the end, it is too irresistible to anyone, to a scientist, to not 
put your hat in the ring for this mm, mission. Yep. And so that showed him as like underneath it all, underneath all the pl- politics and everything like that. In the end, he is still a kid who dreamed one day of seeing aliens. And that's why he does yeah. that. It's not like he's doing it just to screw her. That's how the, the device he serves in the audience. Although that's, that's the effect it has because the only, right. only scientist who could have the upper hand on her in terms of that category is him right. and he's and here he is so you have no chance now but it is a character moment for him because oh, yeah. you said, oh, un- underneath it all he really he really really does want to go it's such a dick move but it is humanizing yeah. to well him. and i think yeah because palmer joss has already pointed out i mean if for the audience who wasn't aware of it i think that whole thing about like you might never come back it might be einsteinian uh uh general general, uh, general relativity may apply uh no special relativity don't let mm-hmm. me get it wrong special relativity he said I don't Thank know. <laughs> and, um, but it lasts, so 50 years might pass uh, for us on Earth. I mean, I think they lay out the stuff. So when Tom Skerritt has talked about it, I think you're right, John. It's not that he's like, hey, I want, I'm going to go from this little trip and it'll be amazing. I'll be the most famous man in the world. It's like I could die. The whole thing could blow up. Could blow up. Um, I might be gone so long that everyone I know is dead. So that's, those are stakes. They're stakes. Now that, now that we've talked for almost 40 minutes about the movie, I'm going to at least mention the sequence of events in the movie. Oh, <laughs> How linear of you, Jason. He's an earthling. He's an this is, earthling. It's, this is an arrival. This is not arrival. <laughs> R- rapidly, but but w- this will give you a chance to mention uh, things that happen in these sections. I wanted to mention the opening shot because it is a famous opening shot purposefully. It is the idea that we're starting in Earth orbit and then we pull back further and further mm-hmm. and further and further and we see galaxies and all of that. And meanwhile, in the soundtrack, uh, it's meant to imply like the speed of light. There's a bubble of our transmissions, which comes back mm-hmm. when we get the... Uh, opening of the Olympics and Hitler reflected back to us in the initial announcement, the idea that the further you go, the further in time, you know, back in time you go um, this time watching. And I was just noticing how it is not synced up at all. Like, it's the 60s no. when we get Artistic to Saturn, license. and it's like, no. It doesn't take 40 years for to get to Saturn at the speed of light. Because <laughs> all those lost Doctor Who episodes are 50 light years out, people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it cracked me up that they thought, you know, okay, we're going to pick sounds that are, you know, from each era, and what's an identifiable TV series from right now? L.A. Law. Yeah, we'll use the theme from L.A. Law. That's the most iconic thing. <laughs> oh, no, the Spice, we're, we're the moon, the Spice Girls are on the moon. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is it is getting the point across in a cinematic it's well, way. It's well done that that we are very small in a very big universe, which is one of the themes of this movie, as is repeated several times. It's an awful waste of space if we're alone in it, and that's the whole purpose of oh. the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So it is a it is a beautiful, uh, expensive special effects shot, a very Robert Zemeckis kind of uh, move to have this be what opens the movie. It, like it hammers the point home by making it there be a long silent period after exactly the where, yeah. and places where, where it's like so far away that our, yeah. our signals haven't gotten there because there was right they really spend a lot of time in that and and i think it's also they had to compress it because if you did it realistically you'd be out of the solar system so fast like <laughs> yeah. you like and it would just be blackness and then the sound would be changing and it wouldn't it wouldn't drive the point home to the it has to read to the audience yes. so i think they right. did the best they could the other thing is it's, right. an, it's a long established trope in science fiction about the how rapidly things are departing earth and when aliens pick them up or other civilizations so i think it was great to frame it with something for people who are more science fictiony seeing the film and be like oh yeah i know what this is going to be about this is kind of cool i'm a i'm an insider and, and and they pull back through her eye, of course, which is a, another uh, trope. Yeah. But then they but they pay that off later in the movie when they do the exact same thing when she comes back. So then we we get a flashback, although we will flash back there later to her as a as a child, and we meet her dad, who is David Morris, and he says small moves, Ellie. Um, she is using a a a radio to talk. 
uh, to people far away and ham like a ham radio. And she talks to somebody in Pensacola and does the drawing, which will will pay off later. But also in the larger scheme of the themes of the movie, uh, this is she's using a radio to talk to somebody. It's a thousand miles away. It's the farthest yet. It, she will talk to someone further away later. Uh, and then also we talk about, she mentions, could we talk to mom? Um, because her, her mom has mm-hmm. died. And that is, again, a foreshadowing of the fact that she's going to ultimately, um, well, her father dies and she tries to radio him, but that doesn't happen. And then, of course, she sees a vision of him when she's taken away by the aliens at the end. So this is, we get our off ways of space for the first time here and we're introduced to David Morse before we see him die um, a couple of scenes later this whole sequence has one of my favorite character bits uh and i I like honestly i like all the shots in the movie they're kind of conventionally lit and kind of looking at zemeckis way but i like that look especially as a contrast to the style of today's movies but anyway she's on sure she's on the porch after her dad died Mm -hmm. of course uh, parents always die in the fall when there's a brisk wind blowing dead leaves by because that's how things happen (laughs) it's the circle of life john Right, right. And she's in her little plaid dress with her head on her knees, a pose that she will strike later in the movie, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like the priest, the the terrible priest comes up and tells her, you know, sometimes things happen uh, and it's all God's will. We're not meant to understand it. And what does Ellie say? I should have kept some medicine downstairs in the bathroom that yep. I could have gotten it sooner, which is <laughs> yeah. exactly her personality. Which Science is like, and religion you, right priest, here. There, More practical. There is a thing I could have done differently that would might have changed the outcome. And that's all she's thinking about. She's not thinking about where's that spirit now. She's like, if the medicine was closer, maybe that would have mm. done it. Always wants to yeah. rerun the experiment, which is, uh, you know, I think if you watch this movie without an eye towards that kind of nerdy mindset you'll just think oh it's a sad little kid she doesn't understand boohoo she said no that's that's her that's her personality this is someone this is a little kid who should become a scientist and will it's it is a great moment yeah if i were a religious figure i would uh you know in these movies i'd be like oh my god i'm not gonna go talk to that kid because that kid's gonna embarrass me (laughs) every one of these films (laughs) she's all sciencey say something so smart and i won't have a good comeback to them the kid's the main character i'm doomed wedged wedged in between these two flashbacks we do get um uh, her early career so she's in arecibo in puerto rico at the radio telescope there we do meet some of her colleagues including William Fickner who is the blind colleague who, who listens he's yeah. he's great in oh, this he's, he's modeled so after after a real person who works in SETI um, who who is who is blind and is listening to uh, radio telescope sounds and all that? We do meet Ma- Matthew uh, McConaughey at this point. Uh, he and Jodie Foster hit it off a little bit, and they have their uh, little uh, their little moment. Uh, he gives so to speak. he leaves he leaves mm-hmm. a card. He has a vision from God. <laughs> They're naked for a while, you know. <laughs> I like that sequence. I like the sequence because she goes to the party. She's like, uh, I got to go there because Drumlin's it's, you know, I got to whatever. Drumlin is incredibly dismissive and rude to her. Yes. McConaughey gives her a great line. She's like, you want to get out of here? And I'm like, that is total. And then boom, boom, boom. And it's all, I felt like it was very fun and kind of tight the way they did it. And it didn't feel like cheap or manipulative. She knew the line. He's she, she knew he was selling her a line at the cafe and that night. And she just, you know, she let him and she enjoyed it. And I thought that was fair. It's good. Yeah. yeah. The best bit in there was they meet in the cafe. He, he says, let's have dinner, whatever. She walks away. But by the time she gets to the door, she takes off her glasses, then turns Ooh. around and gives him the line mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to try to look my best for this moment. So like I said, it's, it's clear that she's got the hot for him. And That's you know, great. people are hooking up down by the radio telescope because what else is there to do when oh you're there God. all night long <laughs> listening to these signals is, yep you know so it's it I, I like that vibe that kind of like you know 
campus vibe of like a, just a bunch of scientists down there in the jungle listening for radio signals and he's there too. Yeah. There's even a line about how, how far it is to get to the grocery store. <laughs> yes. Right? Like yeah. they are cut off. They're not from Puerto Rico. They don't know it. And they're up on this, in the on the mountain, in the hills. They're all, yes, they're isolated, of course. This I think that's all happened. very accurate from what I heard too. It is. That is my understanding. Yes, it is. That is what it's like. way out there. Yeah, so Matthew McConaughey shows up in town. You, you invite him back, and, and he, yeah, gets, he gets the, 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 the compass. The <laughs> not compass thing a scientist. From the yeah, yeah, not a scientist. Oh, <laughs> thank God. Not a very good compass either. But no, yeah. <laughs> ask, <laughs> ask too many questions. But but it's it's Chekhov's toy surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was very good. They use the compass twice, though, by the way. Yes, they yes, do. Yeah. So Drumlin cuts her funding, cut, cuts the study funding, and so we end up in a scene where Ellie is- For, for her own good. For her own good, sure, sure. Uh, to <laughs> present it to three <laughs> skeptical people, good. and there's a whole like, you know, isn't this just science fiction? And she gives an impassioned speech about, you know, we're basically making it real. It's science fiction until we turn it real. They could have made the movie longer in this instance, because this is the only presentation we give- after we know this is the last one, she's like, you're my last, whatever. So there were, you know, 400 presentations before she's this. She's been doing this for several years. And uh, right. and, and the yeah, one guy who's dismissive down. to her, of course, also gets his comeuppance in this scene. Yeah, well, it's a, this. Yeah. so that's the delightful moment is that uh, she gives this speech and they're like going to just show her out. And then the guy has an earpiece in and, and it's like, <laughs> mm, John Hurt has been watching yeah. on the camera and you've got your fund. <laughs> I've, I've been told, annoying scientists, that I need to give you your funding now. <laughs> All right, fine. And so then she's in New Mexico. That's the, that's an example of this movie being economical, though, because they didn't show you the other ones. They just yep. showed this one. And that's all you need because she says it was her last one and she's exasperated. So I, I totally love John Hurt. In, you know, we don't see him yet. I totally love him in this because he is absolutely a William Gibson character in this. He's yeah. not so much in the book, but they made him a perfect, yeah. cootie, wonderful uh, Deus Ex Machina comes down literally from the sky to, to dispense wisdom. Yeah. It's and, not like a billionaire. A, a billionaire would be kind of a wacky person who's obsessed oh, with space yeah, stuff. Right. That seems, doesn't happen. It seems so ridiculous. Ima- imagine in 1997 <laughs> considering that it seemed like he was like Haddon. That seems totally. Pro- oh no! It isn't oh, anymore. we've got like three of them at least, and they're probably more. Well, Haddon Haddon is smarter and more accomplished than them in terms of engineering because he does the hacking himself. <laughs> yes. but he has. He's I older. love his. I, He's more. I love his deliciously evil streak, his unapologetic evil streak. Like he, you, when he says he's yeah. made enemies in his career, you believe him. Yeah. <laughs> like when like, he says, you know. "I've given." I mean, I've taken. Yeah, so from much. from whom <laughs> I've taken so people. much. Right. Well, that that's a level of understanding that I wish more billionaires had. Yeah. Right, yeah. that I didn't get rich because I earned it. I got rich because I took it from other people. But like, but he is proud of taking it. He he is basically yeah. he might he's he should have a volcano lair if he didn't have cancer. Basically, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. he's great. Like he's a Bond villain, basically. Yeah, well, yeah. but you know, he's on our side in a good way. A Bond villain who got overly focused on R and D instead of the outcome, <laughs> like the production. <laughs> he's got the Howard Hughes thing going too. Yes. You think he's paranoid? Yeah. He's up in the plane. Yeah. He's trying to save himself from cancer mm-hmm. by going to space. Love, he is. He it. has many, many evil billionaire cliches all rolled into <laughs> yeah. one, and yet you're rooting for him. Exactly. Because, you know, he's yes. he's the one who pulls Ellie along. Well, he's funding our project, and he's so. he's quirky, and he and he cares, and he sees the value in Ellie when other people don't, and he's making an investment yeah. in her. Um, and in what she's doing because he, he, her, uh, speech 
about like taking a chance. Really, honestly, he's a billionaire who's got cancer and is probably not mm-hmm. long for this world. And why would he not give some money for a chance to be involved in the most impactful moment in the history of history, as she says? Uh, and yep. so he does. And <laughs> and in this case, it pays off. Um, the the uh, very large array segment in New Mexico, this is uh, some of the most visually striking stuff in this movie. She's out in the desert. She's got her convertible they're all the dishes moving at the same time for various things (laughs) which i i just i love the look of it i love the look of that whole thing and then moving around and she's got her headphones yeah Yeah. headphones down and she's just out there and 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 she's and other people and they establish other people are calling her kooky because she's the queen of the desert she's always out there just listening in the earphones which is a thing you don't do because it doesn't make any sense scientifically but she's you know listening to washing machines and watching static and getting a reputation yeah even among the other weirdos right <laughs> i love her weirdos this is practically a college like nerds movie it there's is. like a tiny bit of it they have a couple of the nerds characters it's like almost sneakers are real it. genius at several points it is <laughs> it's it just the, the older version of them because they're all not in college anymore. that's right they all actually got to work meanwhile by the way her her old uh her old boyfriend is on larry king so anyway you know <laughs> things are happening yeah. so there's a lot of cnn the next segment is the discovery segment, which is, I think, very exciting and, and well done where she hears the sound. She radios in. You got to turn all the things. She This is that that shot where she comes in from the car and up the stairs, and it's a big mm-hmm. steady cam shot that, that yeah. leads her in, and they're like trying to figure it out, and they're pulling monitors off of shelves, and they're like tuning it in, and they're like, where is it coming from? It's from Vega, so it's a nearby star. And then they get the, they get the prime numbers, and they talk to... My favorite part of it is when they talk to Australia, because it's going to set on them and they need a, somebody else in the world to pick it up and the Australian goes yeah got it Vega and I love that moment. Yeah, good day mate I'm an Australian. Vega! <laughs> the thing I loved about that is as as all of us who are working with technology in the 1990s the fact like I was working just a few years before in this Kodak facility doing uh, image teaching and we were constantly even for basic projects we're like let me go grab five more hard drives and we'll need 13 oh, cables yeah. and seven monitors <laughs> so when they start grabbing stuff I'm like man I yep. remember those days you're like oh I need a specialized thing I need the IEEE 1394 cable you know whatever and it was mm-hmm. it was very and this is a great oh, prolonged sequence where they know you have to explain to the audience things that people might come on you like, have to explain what is prime a prime numbers number? you got to explain like every, at every step of the way you have to explain it. and this this scene of discovery of like here's the signal what is it made up of like i think they do a really good job on this because you want yes. it to be dr- a dramatic reveal but also you want it to be not complete mumbo jumbo and yeah, it's not yeah. it is yeah. all more or less sound all the way through which is an amazing feat if you think about how hard it is to do literally anything having to do with science especially <laughs> oh, if space God, or aliens yeah. are involved they basically <laughs> keep it on the level and still manage to make it an understandable scene that even a child could watch and understand what they're saying and what they're doing with many layers of reveal. I almost wondered why they didn't do Fibonacci numbers because that seems more like yeah. a more reasonable thing. They are totally inappropriate because they're harder to explain. There's too big an interval. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so primes are perfect. And then when the National Security Advisor comes it in, explains she explains it yeah. right, exactly. in like three seconds. That's why they're there. Yes. That, which she I like. explains it to him. Yeah, you, James Woods and Angela Bassett get to be the targets of our explanations. Yes. But when she goes one, two, you know, she does. she counts up to like seven and I'm like, and she says prime numbers. I'm like, 
well, I would go a little further, you know, and just to be sure, that, you know, that there might be some other thing going on here. She kind of jumped to a conclusion, I felt like, or the movie did. And then this pays off later because you, they go a while before they come back and realize there's the other signal yeah. and inter- interleave yes. with it and, and interlacing yeah. and they thought it was noise and like it's, it's and with Hitler being there and, and James Wood calls, oh, yeah, the, calls the guards back into the room, like, like TV <laughs> Hitler's going to jump out and bite him. I've got to believe that at some point, in you know the 1970s, uh, uh, Carl, Carl Sagan came across this fact, and he was like, "Oh my God, I got to use that Hitler." Yeah, it's, it's a good, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely sci-fi fodder. If you think about, oh, that was the first broadcast. Boy, wouldn't it amazing if that bounced back to us, and what 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 it would make people think? I'm like, the stupidity of the military people going like, "Oh, this means the threat," and blah blah. Like, means, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. She says they have no idea but... of context of it. It doesn't make any sense. They're just yeah. parroting <laughs> back to us something that we sent out there. I mean, at yeah. that point, that's a reasonable thing for her to suspect. Although by the end of the movie, you realize. They sh- they surely knew exactly what they were sending mm. back, but we're, we're relying yeah. on humans to not freak out too much about it. Next segment of the movie is the kind of worldwide reaction to this. Um, apparently, they were going to cast somebody as the president of the United States, a fictional president, a great tradition yeah. in movies. But then what, what, what happened is they found the possible uh, sign of water and possibly life on Mars, which was kind of BS and it kind of didn't go anywhere. But NASA still uses mm. it to promote their Mars missions even today. But what it meant was Bill Clinton gave a couple of uh, <laughs> press conferences where he kept talking about oh, scientific right. discovery and how we had to wait. And apparently Robert Zemeckis was like, well, we're saved. We got it. <laughs> like, That's right. It was, it was so perfect. It was like a non, non-committal scientific mumbo jumbo. It was uncanny. Yeah. The only problem was that the press conference was in the Rose Garden and uh, they wanted it in the briefing room. And if you can, you can kind of look, if you know, you can tell that mm-hmm. Clinton is in yeah, sunlight. Yeah. In it's pretty room. sunny in that briefing room. But, yeah. <laughs> but it allows that great moment, which is so great because if you don't notice it when it happens, which is Tom Skerritt walks up instead of Jodie Foster, that's okay yeah. because yeah. John Hurt noticed and he plays that moment back for her later saying, I yes. saw it. Mm. I saw you get sniped by <laughs> right. Tom Skerritt, which I love. That's a moment that I, I backed up this time because it's such a great moment of like her she does that full step and she's like nope it's tom scarrett i'm out of here yep. and they've got her studying the note cards beforehand like they do again this is this movie uh, giving the, the viewer some credit they don't spell yes. it out to you in the moment but if you're paying literally any attention you see her nervously looking at her note cards like you know she thinks she's going to go up and she's yeah. about ready to go she's like ah, and takes a step and then tom scarrett comes up there and also by the way this dramatic moment hides the transition because they have the thing where they're showing the the actors and the TV screen and they turn the camera mm-hmm. around and the the Bill Clinton lookalike body double yes. goes off the screen yes. and Angela Bassett comes on but Angela Bassett comes on the same video signal that the real Clinton left it's you know it's not yeah. impressive for today because with computers you could do real easy but at the time it was incredibly you know it was it was at the limit of what they could do and it's it's done in a way that doesn't draw attention to itself because you don't even like like i i think with the, with the thing running in from the very large array which i didn't even know was a thing i thought they literally had her run into that building it it's overwhelmed by the storytelling because the storytelling is her getting sniped and then sitting slowly back down into that chair and she can't believe she's not going to get up there to talk about it right and that's the point where this amazing cut happens like it doesn't bring call attention to itself like aren't you amazed that we could have actors Mm, and then mm. cut between the actors and the real bill clinton it's i think it is a judicious judicious use of visual effects i agree 
And and I think they yeah. pull it off. They just got so lucky that Clinton said all this yes. mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. about science and discovery that fit perfectly oh. in the movie in a non-committal way. It's real Forrest Gump kind of stuff. Who directed that movie? Oh right, this guy. Oh. Same guy. <laughs> Forrest Gump is an example of this gone bad because Forrest Gump they didn't have the people saying what he wanted them to say, yeah. so they did the lips and everything like that. This is Clinton literally said just no. It's literally about think, science and discovery. I think Zemeckis uh, learned learned a lesson from that, and then Bill Clinton said all these things. He's like, oh God, we could do this. We could totally do this. Um, the other part of this. <laughs> by the way the world reaction thing is the it, and this is the part this is actually a part that i don't think i agree with the vision of the storytellers about how people would react to this it's kind of there's mm. there's cult people and then there's the non-believers and people are at the very large array and there's sort of a burning man for aliens mm. that happens and yes. there's like a lot of really yeah. goofy people and jake Busey is out there he'll be back preaching about the end times and all <laughs> of that and this and and so what what you get is the idea here that society is reacting weirdly to the po- the the fact that aliens exist which i i don't know may, maybe it's just me i i i think it's overstated a little bit there are weirdos though i mean there are, this is pre-internet version of how weird people are yeah like i think there's more cosplay than there would be in real life there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. dress up and you know colorful things Classic car, but like it, the vega cars like right. the vega but, car but in, owners but in terms there. of the weirdness no. of okay. in terms of the weirdness of the response i think the actual response would be much worse and much weirder than we can possibly imagine it just wouldn't be as photogenic no it was great because it was like who is who are they performing for there aren't enough news cameras there. Yeah, it's for, for, all it's the for the movie, performing. right? But it's, but yeah. it's Burning but, Man I mean, for aliens, you know, that's all. I mean, as that's a, all you know, to be topical for a moment, as we've seen, who could have predicted the reaction to the coronavirus in this country would be a giant movement away against wearing masks. Like, no movie would write that because it would seem unrealistic <laughs> right. and stupid, and it's not as photogenic as people dressing up as aliens, so it doesn't it doesn't make for a fun <laughs> movie scene, but it is way worse than the stuff in this yeah. movie where they just want to sing Hail to Vega. It's like, go ahead. Well, we did have, uh, you know, Hail Bop in 1997 oh, which is referenced uh, in the movie Gates. I remember that. Mm-hmm. the, the yeah. Heaven's Gate An- another, the, uh, another convenient thing that people ponchos. did I had to explain to my kids that, you know, conveniently <laughs> a bunch of people did kill themselves and they could put that clip in this movie they're, they're on the comment now um, so the uh, next portion of the movie is about trying to figure out the data uh, that is it has been sent because nobody's figured it out but of course John Hurt has figured it out we get that scene where she gets taken and uh, by helicopter to a Love plane where scene. he's briefly landed and he has figured it out and and shows the whole thing about how that works. And then you cut. There's a smash cut to her presenting it, uh, and then and that there are instructions to build a machine that will uh, send people to space. It irritated me that with all the world or nation's leading cryptologists that they weren't like, oh, we could rotate it. And yeah, it yeah, that, yeah, that's the one, the one yeah. Um, yeah, most unrealistic scientific part. Any, anybody would have figured that out. Like You could put that in front of a bunch of, you know, middle What if it's deformed on a 3D out. space? Yes, I think people, somebody would have figured it out. But in this world... They're not thinking in three dimensions. Only John Hurt. But it makes for a good movie moment because I think no one in the audience figures it out because right, they don't really right. give you enough time to puzzle it out. It's like you and right. the audience aren't being And it's shorthand so for the fact that John Hurt's brilliant and he figured something out that no one else is and he's Handing it to Ellie because he right. wants her to succeed, and and this is a good example of movie making. Like they have to, they have to make it so that the audience visually understands what they're saying. So those sort of motion graphics or infographics of showing the things, it's not actually easy to do that because you have to make it look alien and it has to look complicated, but it has to read for the audience. I think that type of sort of scientific, you know, storytelling communication is tricky. 
Uh, I mean, if you look at, just look at the computer screens in this movie, which are completely unrealistic and have gigantic type on them, but they're there to communicate so that everyone in the movie is following along. What's happening on this computer screen? Who's communicating with what? Am I supposed to be able to read that text or not? And so when they fold those three pages together, I think the audience gets it. They see the registration marks. Yeah. They see that they align. Yeah. And that that is not easy to do. It's very easy to screw up. Just like, again, look at literally any other movie that tries to do scientific mumbo jumbo on the screen. I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought that was very well done. Um, I just, at that moment, I thought I was the only one paying attention in the house. And so I'm watching the movie and I'm taking my notes and all of a sudden I hear, is the Jeff Bezos guy supposed to be evil? <laughs> yeah, I just love how what? they set him up to be so perfectly. It's yeah. so almost creepy, kind of creepy, but it's like kind of like, well, wouldn't you like a lot of money to do your excellent work? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Here, let me wear the Swifty Lazar glasses and lean yeah, oh, in. I love, I love the glasses for Aren't those great? Oh. Yeah. There's, there is no consequence, and I will give you money to pursue Do- your Dr. Arroway, I am the owner of a piece of information that everyone else in the world wants. And now I give it to you. Please share it widely. <laughs> Obviously, since he's dying, we know that he's he's got he's he's betting on her. He's hitching his wagon to her star. But also, he says, you know, I, I want to deal you back into the game. And she says, I didn't realize I was out because she doesn't. Oh, she's not a political animal. Oh, yeah, doesn't that was a great, great, like great he's line. getting he's getting her back in. That's why he that gives it great. to her. Yeah. It's she can bring that to them, and that that sort of refreshes her her uh, her PR cred. Everybody needs an evil mentor to keep you head in science. <laughs> yeah. We, know, we didn't get to see the movie before, which is how Haddon made all his money, like poisoning mm. children or whatever <laughs> he had to do with his giant factories. This leads us to the astronaut portion of the movie now, where we get we move forward and they've built a giant lake. I used to have one of these on my... Uh, on my desk, one of those little rings that spins around and stuff, but it's a spaceship launching whatever machine that they've been told to build. They don't really know. There's some really good bits about that. I want to put in a word, um, uh, CNN space correspondent, John Holloman, who died about a year after this movie was made in a, mm. in a car crash yeah. is in, in this movie for a lot. He was really a great space correspondent in the era where Ted Turner demanded that CNN cover space. And so I always enjoy seeing him here because he didn't uh, live for very long after this, uh, after this movie came out. Um, also, this is the moment where I know what Glenn said earlier about how um, how uh, Jodie Foster's character doesn't get gaslit so much in this movie. Um, uh, but this is uh, in this the is, first thirty minutes. In the first thirty minutes. Around this point in the movie, um, my wife turned to me and said, "Jodie Foster gives a lot of absolutely silent used men in this movie." <laughs> It's like, <laughs> that's awesome. yeah, 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 like to to Matthew really McConaughey good. and especially to Tom Skerritt. There, are, she just you could look the look on her face when they say things to her, and she's like, you know, I'm not going to say it, but yeah, I, she knows she oh, feels it. Oh, you read it, it clearer. Yeah, it's it's really clearer. great because it's like, and again, it's, yes. Mm, but um, anyway, this is the launch part, and it's very NASA up, and I I find that funny um because they don't understand how it works, and there's several moments where it's like we don't really know what's going to happen now. And there's a nice little performance by Tucker Smallwood, who's the flight director. So he's doing a lot of like, you know, asking everybody for go and no go and all of Mm. that. Um, And in this segment. So this is all playing on our our thoughts about how NASA launches work. I know you love this stuff. And I thought, I mean, A, this is obviously it's very well modeled. But B, it's like I was curious. I was like, they they had him build a black box. It's completely ridiculous. Yes. They don't know what it does. It's beyond their scientific expertise. But they're like, they still got to put power in the thing. Five percent, ten percent. It's like what they got is a (laughs) dial. They have a dial they can turn up from zero to 100 percent. 
That's a good point. The first time I saw it, I didn't read it this way. But now the way I read it is uh, it, it goes all the way to the point where um, they mention that there's not supposed to be like a chair or a restraining yeah, harness. Right. And there's that moment where the thing shakes and shakes and shakes. And she finally just realizes that her uh, Chekhov's compass uh, is floating. Uh, that all the way yeah, through here, good. it's us as human beings trying to impose our feelings about how a space launch should be on a thing that's actually totally unknowable. And so all of this is sort of like ridiculous. It's We're doing it because we're comfortable making it feel like a NASA launch. But like the aliens don't need it don't need any of our contributions, right? Like, just do what we say, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, it, and it screws it up. The movie makes that clear because the vibration that they feel, they said, oh, it's normally felt the vibration. The vibration disappears entirely once that seat gets disconnected. Yeah. Yep. Seat, yeah. The yeah. stupid seat that they installed was the thing causing the vibration. Yep. She would have been killed if she had not been saved by the floaty compass that you know she got out of the seat for. I'm jumping ahead, but the cyanide pill thing was really, there are some good moments. That's in Japan, though. I'm sorry, I'm going yeah, to- Yeah, but yeah, then they, and the uh, when they're putting the stuff on or whatever, and she says, I want to emphasize, she's the only, again, our hero knows what's right. She's the one emphasizing, again, the plan said nothing about a chair. And the person's like, minimum protection. We demand a minimum, like the bureaucracy yes. can be fought, but right. only to a certain That's degree. Right. So like, look, we're going to put you in a right. chair. We're going to strap you in. And that almost screwed up the whole thing is there all that yeah. shaking and vibration and everything. Once that thing snaps off, it's perfectly quiet. Right, the Transportation Safety Agency has to have their say. The, I mean, there's an out-of-movie reason why they're having it at Kennedy Space Center in Florida, which is that for the audience, it also helps that it reads like a space launch. But as somebody who knows mm-hmm. about space stuff, I also have to laugh, because the reason you launch rockets from Florida is because due to yeah, the rotation of the, the Earth, they need to go out over the ocean. And this is not a rocket. Yep. I mean, although it has some rockets on it, I guess, which is super weird, and I don't know why they're there, but yeah, they well, look really cool. Those rockets might might go off into the ocean. It was, no, there's a good explanation yeah, in the movie. They're like they had it. They couldn't they get the, the third. Ring. The third ring couldn't get to acceleration, so they're either it was jury rigged or it was. I they added some solid rocket yeah, boosters. Yeah, the aliens' instructions were too been good part of the plans. Yeah, the the, the uh, only yeah. ridiculous scientific thing that they do with this machine is. When they have a bunch of, they have a couple of lines saying, oh, it could do X or it could do Y or it could do Z or, you know, it could make that little pod shoot off at the speed of light. It's like, look, we're powering the machine. We know how much more power we're putting into it. It's clear from the amount of power we're putting in that (laughs) there's not enough power to accelerate that pod too close to the speed of light. So that's not going to happen. Now, wormhole, it's like hand wavy, hand wavy, like how much energy does it take to make a wormhole? Let's just pretend it doesn't take a lot. But certainly... Even though we don't know how this machine's going to work, we know what it's not going to do. And what it's not going to do is accelerate that capsule too close know. to the speed of light. I don't know. Who knows? Well, I definitely had this feeling, you know, watching the, I mean, it's like having grown up in Florida and oh. seeing the, <laughs> the like masses of people would come, you yeah. know, to watch a, yeah, they, they seem a, a, a little space close. launch. They well, close. they, even if they weren't that close, they, yeah. Like, I was like, you don't even know what this thing yeah, it is. Could, it, right. just did. <laughs> it, it could have just set up, detonate the atmosphere. The people are <laughs> at the right? safe distance for a shuttle launch, but not for a giant yeah. Not giant for a weird rings. alien thing yes, that we exactly. don't know Also, do. can, I, yeah. can I call back to James Woods, or sorry, Michael Kitts? He is right, by the way, earlier in the film, when he says... <laughs> What do we know? They might just send these instructions off and get culture, you know, get civilizations to blow themselves up. Yep. So yep. No longer, or, or it opens up and the vegan army comes out. It's a Trojan horse. And I said, yeah. I said, he is a hundred percent right. right. Yes, and Jodie Foster's answer is, they sent us numbers. They use the language of math. Nobody and who so uses math can be evil. No. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the real argument is that uh, it's like, what are you going to not build it? 
<laughs> like, it's yeah, like, it's like yeah, human curiosity dictates that there is no way you sit on these plans and somebody doesn't build them. I mean, Elon Musk somebody will be building will it right build now. It. Yeah, totally. somebody but will there, build it. My, my younger and I have been watching, we went through all the seasons of She-Ra and there's a number of times when one of the, you know, Shadow Weaver, one of the ostensibly evil characters is like, she lays out this plan, like, she's totally right. You really, she's totally right. And you're like, yeah, she's totally right. And the other characters are disregarding her, whatever. And you're like, I had that moment with the, if, I'm I'm glad to see, I was glad to see James Wood in an evil, sort of evilish mode or a negative mode because I, I prefer yeah, seeing that. They, they have a point of view. Their point of view is we are the military, we're tasked with protecting mm-hmm. the United States, we just care about the and United right. States, right? And, and it's he's like, right. they are, they are representing their interest they don't believe this is a worldwide thing they think it's all secrets because the united states should know it even though the signal went to the whole world like they're they're presenting their interest and it's like a stop yep. clock is you know right twice a day right so they do have a point there but what they should have just said is <laughs> we're in a zemeckis movie it's not going to blow up the earth <laughs> <laughs> however there are th- things that blow up and that, one of my favorite sequences in this entire movie is the tension that escalates as we're doing the the uh, test and Drumlin is grandstanding, or grandstanding, and there's that line where somebody in Mission Control is like, uh, you know, he's like an over overcooked ham. Like it's yeah, totally he true. Knows he's yeah. on TV. He totally does, and you watch it, and you can see him doing it. But and see, then, the thing, the thing is, when they when they slam him for that, though, he is not hamming it up. He legitimately no. feels a vibration that they don't yeah, measure. No, like this is the whole because he, of the chair. vibration, right? He actually is concerned, but they think because their instruments say that there's no vibration. They right. think he's hamming it up. So it, yeah. again, uh, he gets one human oh, moment at the last, at the last before he blows up. <laughs> yeah, it's a really yeah. nice character moment, and it is. It's entirely because of strapping the robot into the chair, and they make a point of talking about that before that. Yeah, and and having having the chair there. Period. There's no chair in the diagram. It's just right. Ellie's panning around with the camera. She sees Jake Busey, who she saw before, and he's a hippie cult leader. And then there's the it's a very tense moment, and she like gets on the loop with Drumlin and says it's that guy, and he, they wrestle, but he's got the he's got the explosives, and and they they fight over his his like switch, and he pushes it, and it blows up, and it doesn't just blow up, but it blows the rings, and they're shooting off, and they're coming toward the people who are watching across the river mm-hmm. and close to the them, and it's just this. It is a very shocking dramatic moment in the movie that i love every time i watch it it's just it's it's uh mm-hmm. it's a great sequence yeah. it's great yeah I, I like the fact that that they didn't they didn't uh stop him they didn't like he didn't just blow it up he didn't have a speech and blow it up there was that fight on the ground so like yeah. the, that extra one or two seconds of them struggling but that the struggle like in most movies if you have the shot of the struggle it's because the good guys are going to win the struggle. They yeah. have the extra shot of the struggle, but it turns yeah. out you just couldn't keep that guy's thumb off the thing, and they blow up. And it's yeah. uh, it's similar. Uh, you know, this is similar. A similar shocking cut to the spoilers. Matt Damon uh, shocking explosion cut in Interstellar, right? Where it is cut at an unexpected moment to be extremely dramatic, especially since you've been through this whole movie and you're like. They're not going to blow up the machine, right? I mean, how much time is left in this movie? You can't really. Bl- right. There's a, there is a solution. The, the script has a solution to this problem, which is a little silly, but yeah. also fun. But blowing it up really does, you know, is an unexpected moment in what is an otherwise sort of by the numbers inspirational sci-fi movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like it also this scene they did draw it out. Like first the pod blew up, then you know the. The thing crashed into the gyroscopy thing, the and then like little and, pieces, yeah. not little, large pieces started <laughs> being flung into everywhere, yeah. including like right at con- the mission, mission control. control. Mission control should probably nobody be farther was, away too. Yeah, nobody was hurt <laughs> inexplicably by it. Um, I don't I, think so. I, I also I, want to point out that Drumlin. He, this is a great moment too. It's a good moment for that character. Is Ellie tells him that. He immediately believes her. There's no yeah. question, which in 
almost any other movie, I swear to be like, no, you're got to be, you're being hysterical, you're being ridiculous, whatever. He's like, okay, he just takes it seriously, looks over and executes what he needs to do in that moment. And that was great. I didn't want two minutes of him talking to her and not believing her as the thing got closer. Right. Because he knows how smart she is and how observant she is. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. I trust you. And that she's not trying to uh, sabotage his damn moment. She's trying to Um, save it. Yeah. But he could have, I don't know, I do think like there was some alternate reality where by not totally just jumping on the guy right away, she could have talked him through like, you know, disarming him or something. And he, but he was Mr. Uh, well, Action. When it, when, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's hard to second guess those type of scenarios, especially since the security must be so lax. He's got a giant bomb vest on. I mean, yeah. it, this yeah. is a kind of. That's like <laughs> Star Trek level. Pre 9-11 thinking. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have a, a a thirty minute uh, uh, middle part of the film where they had hearings about why security was lax. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> the, the frustrating thing about this, from the government perspective, <laughs> in the scenes after this, they start. There's this acrimony and sort of accusations about what went wrong, and it's like, oh, the, the, we spent all this money on this machine, and what a waste it was, and it's like. The machine did not work. You do realize a terrorist blew it up. Like it's not. <laughs> no, we did, the exactly. engineers didn't do. It's yeah. like they have all this. They're yelling at them about like, oh, what a boondoggle this alien project was. Like the aliens didn't screw it up. We did. Like it's so clear that we didn't even get a chance <laughs> yeah, yeah. to see if the engineering worked. Yeah. Didn't they have insurance? <laughs> yeah, well, how do you insure something that costs a trillion dollars? Self-insured yeah. at that point. Fortunately, I think hadn't made a lot of his money in defense contracting <laughs> because yeah. he has the classic lesson: why make one when you can make two for twice the price that was i love that line that was great yeah Yeah. they also have the the great Uh, angle uh, earlier in the movie of saying that uh various countries are dropping out of being able to have a candidate mm -hmm. because they wisely surmise that the u.s is never not going to pick up someone from the u.s (laughs) and they'd much rather have the patents and the sub the the, you know the sub the subcontractors for the specific parts so the japanese are like we know where the money's at don't even bother putting in a japanese we want that we want all the engineering and the patents and of course they get what they get in exchange is also an entire second machine (laughs) so smart move and Realistic international relations. Yep. Yeah. So then uh, Ellie gets Ellie gets her chance to do the launch, and we get the launch. But first, you know, we, she gets to be told about a suicide pill. She points out that there's not supposed to be a chair. They give her survival survival gear, which she doesn't need. Uh, Matthew McConaughey shows up to say goodbye in a tender moment that made me roll my eyes. And then we finally get to uh, launch into the wormhole. I like the fact that it's it's overcast and rainy in Japan, very moody. Yeah. I'm not sure what the weather is actually like in that part of Japan, but boy, it makes for a great movie. Why, are they, why is Mission Control on a boat again? It makes for really cool shots. doesn't really make a lot of sense. A big wave could tip it over. But it was a nice contrast to Florida. It was super sweet that, uh, that uh, Palmer Joss brought her mentor and friend i love that when he shows yes. up i'm like oh it's yeah. dr fickner this is really yes. uh or, or sorry yeah. uh, dr William clark Fickner. this is really yes. sweet it, yeah it makes the joke about smelling the uh smelling james wood as he passes it, by yep. him. never would have pegged him for a polo man polo. Polo. yeah yeah <laughs> but it's great i mean he's you know he's a little bit of a little bit of a not MacGuffin, but he's kind of a magical character in that moment but i feel yeah, like and he, has he, and he does part. his super hearing thing because yeah. he's the one who can hear her say that she's still there and says right. it's okay to go i think her okay to go yeah. scene is great because again it shows her not being like i'm tough i have no problems she's terrified she's just scared out of her mind but she is she's like i'm scared of mine but there's no way in hell i'm not doing this like my whole life has led up to this point so all i'm just gonna do in my terror is just keep screaming to this microphone you damn well better send me because i don't want to go through this again and so that leads to the the moment uh she drops the, the the whole shell of the thing gets all translucent and they drop her 
and she is transported via a wormhole. We see her kind of go through the wormhole. We see her stop. Uh, she's around. She's trying to look around. She's at Vega. There's a little glimpse of something, another ship or some other kind of solar array or something, some technology that is not from us. And then she's off down another uh, wormhole. She ends up in a quadruple star system. There's a planet. There's lights from cities on the planet. Uh, and then she is uh, down another wormhole wormhole everything is shaking the floating necklace compass is fine so she uh, you know un uh unhitches there and then we get our lines about how uh it, i have no words to describe this they should have sent a poet it's so <laughs> beautiful i had no idea um and then she descends to the uh, beach that isn't real and has her visitation with her father who is actually aliens and uh, it's she can touch the edges of it. It's like a alien holodeck kind of thing, but it is based on her drawing of Pensacola. And she gets a conversation. The waves go backwards on the beach. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and 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 they, um, it's a very science fiction novel conversation, but I like it. It's sort of like the highlights of every science fiction novel in this moment. Where after uh, you know she asks about <laughs> it, he says, "We thought this would be easier for you." Um, she says, D "You know, is that some sort of rapid transit system? The wormholes? Uh, did you build that?" And he says, "We didn't. We don't know who did. So of obviously, there is a, a species more alien even than these aliens that they don't even know about." Um, it comments on we're an interesting species. Um, and then the very nice line, the only thing we found that makes em the emptiness of the of the universe bearable is each other. This is your first step. And in time, you'll take another small moves, Ellie. Uh, we've been doing it this way for billions of years. So there's this whole this whole part, which is obviously inspired by 2001. Um, and I, you know, I really like this whole thing because it's super weird um, and very tantalizing, which is what it should be like. Oh, finally, we're going to get our answers. And it's like, well, we're not going to give you the answers. Really? Uh, but mm -hmm. we're going to give you a little ta a taste of what is to come. They give you a lot of answers, and they and they couch it in like they couch it in a way that would make sense if you were super advanced and you have to somehow bring along these primitive people yes. so they don't flip out. Make them as comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. Download their thoughts. It's super handy. You know, find a phrase that's meaningful to them. That's why the small moves things. I love that. Like it's like, oh, you're paying off a line. For, why would they do that? Because they know the aliens know from looking at her brain that that line means meaningful to yes. her, and it's a great <laughs> justification to shove it in because it also works in terms of storytelling. It's that's right. It's a, There's know, a lovely bit too. Is that she accepts? I mean, she kind of almost immediately recognizes it's not her father. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't spend a lot of time believing that it's real. But but she accepts the comfort from this vision mm -hmm. of her father because yeah. it is from her memories. And just, I mean, you implicitly understand. I, I love that they didn't talk that out. She's like, she will let him touch her face and He probably her. smells right. Right, because she mm -hmm. knows this is my father to me. There's no difference in whatever alien projection it is. And I was like, that is so wonderful. Would you not in that moment? I was like, I would take comfort from my dead father, mother, or whomever. Yeah, um, but who who wouldn't right? Yeah, and, yeah. right? And I think I lo I love the fact that the Pensacola Beach is like the waves the waves going backwards and the trees are the biggest nod to like this is also a child's drawing, yep. so yeah. it's not quite right, yeah. right? It's super bright colors <laughs> and everything, and yeah, it's not quite right. Yeah, like the, the my younger son walked in and said, "Why are the colors all weird?" It's, it's a long story. It's science fiction. Just yes. go away, yeah. go away. It's an alien holiday. This is why I say it's a Twilight Zone because it's that's the the twist is you go to visit aliens and it's dad in your painting, but they do it really well. And 
David Morse is just perfect. Yep. Oh, yeah. He he's he strikes the right tone both as himself and as the alien yeah. version of him. He, he totally he totally looks like a very understanding alien who's <laughs> yeah. been doing this for billions <laughs> of years. Right? Am I wrong or did they put a little CG on him? Because I in oh, that yes. scene he's a yes. little wobbly, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot he's, of weird yeah. masking. He's going a little on glowy scene. and a little too sh- too much sheen. Yeah. The, what what I really appreciate about this shot, um, when he like they're on the beach, right? This is what I was saying about, I think most people who see this movie do not make a connection between the palm trees and her drawing, right? Mm. And what, so, but not for lack of trying, the movie shows you that drawing front to the camera, like yes. six shots, mm-hmm. like they, but, Several pe- times. but people miss it, but people miss it, right? And so in this thing, when, when she lands here, you see the trees several times and then they do a full frame shot on just the trees, which is like, are you getting it, people? But the, <laughs> yeah. the the point of that shot is not that because that's the shot where he starts to materialize out of like a blurry yeah. mess of bad yeah. CG. So right. I think people still watch that and their eyes immediately drawn to, "Ooh, here comes the alien. What is the alien going to look like?" But that was the shot that was supposed to tell you about the trees, and I really appreciate that they didn't have two shots. One tell people about the trees to try to make people get it to alien appears. They're both the same shot. They like, like I said, with the visual effect shot with Clinton uh, coming through the key transition is hidden by the storytelling because the storytelling takes precedence here. The storytelling is, uh Oh, what's the alien going to look like? That's also the shot that your last chance to get the thing about the trees. And I, I appreciate the restraint. I like that he doesn't go, eh, eh, what you think? Eh? <laughs> do we do a good job? You don't need to know. She says Pensacola, right? So, But you don't need to know that it's literally her drawing. You, yeah, that is right, not necessary right. information to get all the benefit of the movie. It's just an extra thing that makes it, you know, that makes makes the movie fit together even better. Yeah, I, I just think it's a, a very well-handled thing. Not only do you get the the trip through the wormhole, which is the tantalizing, like, oh, there's a there's a, a planet with cities, but you don't get to see it for very long. It's swept away from you very quickly. Just like that moment where you kind of see that there's a spacecraft or something out there, and you're like, oh, what's that? No, it's too. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get to see any more of that. So you get that part, and then you get this, which is we're going to tell you a lot, but we're also going to not tell you a lot because this is step one and there will be more you you now know some of this and i like the line is in time you'll take another right he's not even promising like and you don't know how long when could that be a hundred years or a thousand years years or tomorrow like no one knows do we could you tell me before we go can you tell me do we use the machine again tomorrow (laughs) to send someone else or do we just tear that down now yeah will it work again like i was waiting for her to ask her question that they said you know at the at the hearing yeah, how did you like survive? what question right. will you ask and yeah how did you survive your evolution like whatever uh, but that would have been obviously too well, much she was obviously overwhelmed well. she was like, overwhelmed. the whole, yeah. the whole point of the encounter the is that, yeah she's <laughs> yeah. completely overwhelmed by seeing her dead father and her three by know. five cards were thrust up and broken exactly. on the ceiling of the capsule yeah, plus the trip <laughs> through the wormhole was a little bit disorienting yeah and yeah. and in terms of you know not getting all the answers to everything that you want to ask you know the movie isn't called Getting to be buddy buddy with aliens. It's it's <laughs> literally just contact. Contact. I would say yeah. that. I would watch that film though. <laughs> the bit that follows up where she en- she ends up coming back and there's the whole what's happening and she says what well, you know what year is it essentially or how long how long how was how long I was gone? I gone? Yes, the last little right. chunk and, of the movie. Yeah. She, and she's in quarantine, which I appreciate. Although yeah, that was good. Some, yeah. Somewhat nonsensical given what they think happened, but fine. She's in quarantine <laughs> behind glass. Look, there are and procedures, like, and we're going to yeah, follow right. procedures. Yeah. yeah, right. And this is what we saw, and they show it for you know forty three different cameras, all saw the same thing. You just watch that thing go down you know we just saw that thing fall straight through and she's like "Uh oh (laughs) (laughs) let me give you my pitch for the end of this movie here right because what what they want you to do what they want you to feel at the end of this movie is they want a a bunch of things to happen one 
they want you to do the whole comparison of science and religion because she has this experience that's meaningful that she can't explain just like palmer joss and she does the whole speech she want you want to see the atheist grilled and not be able to defend herself and not have an explanation finally because the stupid you know uh, what do you call it a know-it-all like lisa simpson finally gets her come up and oh you can't explain it can you and you have this spiritual experience right just like you're you know uh, matthew mcconaughey looking handsome in the stands and giving you googly eyes <laughs> right they want to have that whole thing go down so that most people watching this movie come away thinking this movie is telling me that religion is great and the science person was actually wrong after all and she finally learned the lesson that religion is good because now finally she has been put in the place where she understands religion in a way that she didn't before right that's what the movie is trying is trying to tell you right and i think most of the the audience goes away with that and they feel good also by the way it's resolving her character arc of feeling alone which is the reason she's listening you know is that that whole she's got this character arc of being alone that's she that gets paid off with david moore saying you know the only thing we found out here is each other she realizes that she's not alone that resolves her you know her inner emotional turmoil and conflict is solved by that the religion science thing is in this meeting and i think most people watch it and feel good that finally the movie has admitted that religion is right and the stupid scientist is wrong but the movie is not done the movie is unequivocal in saying, actually, she was right. Information was held from her that proves that she was right all along, and she was truthful in her testimony. And what she testified to does not mean that she suddenly thinks, oh, religion was right all along. It doesn't mean that she had a spiritual experience and now and she can't explain it. Now she understands Palmer Joss. It just means that she was kept in the dark. The movie is unequivocal in saying, science was right, she was right, and she's being lied to. But people don't see that. They see that as, oh, huh, the twist ending. Well, really, it oh, turns yeah. out there are aliens, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the movie saying. The movie, uh, like, I wouldn't say undercuts. The movie wants to have it ca- its cake and eat it, that's too. It. It is a big, oh, it absolutely it is a big tries budget, to do both it's ways. It's a big-budget scientific m- movie where an atheist is the hero, and the only way you get that on the screen is by making it so the executives think that that's not what the movie is saying. But I think the movie found a way to say that after all in a way that the dumb executives allowed to go to the theater. So I applaud this movie for finding a way to be unequivocally unequivocally on the side of the atheist while making almost everybody who watches it not realize that. See, I, I kept wondering why didn't she just say, look, you know, you have my word of this experience. It's ju- there's just as much factual evidence for that as there is for God. But Why didn't she say that's not the debate she's having? She's not having that. I mean, really, you just say, look, run the experiment again, yeah. dude. You got the machine. Well, that too. Like, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you send someone else? I find it very unsatisfying that the end of this movie, until that last coda, which does say, oh yes, yeah. but it, it turns out it's actually a government cover up and there is evidence. The last the last public moment here is her being forced to essentially admit, not just say or leave open the possibility, admit that essentially scientific belief and being an eyewitness to something that happened because there was a whole machine and everything is no more valid than having a religious feeling. And I think that I I think the movie is trying to have its cake and eat it too. And um, this part of the cake is garbage and I don't like it. And it makes me, it makes me, it makes me angry. Would you prefer a more forceful defense of atheism, like not trying to smuggle it under the covers? Because I feel like a forceful defense means this movie would never get made. Like that, like that's the alternative is you don't get this movie at all or you get the movie that fakes everyone out. I don't know, know whether I agree with you or not that this is the only way you could get this movie made. I don't think I do. But regardless of that, my analysis of the movie has nothing to do with whether the movie could get made or not. My analysis of the movie is whether it has a chicken shit ending, which it does. 
I don't think it's chicken. If it didn't have the the eighteen hours of static, yes, it would be a complete cop out, and I would hate this movie. But it has that. And, it does end with her being gaslit. That's the uh, ultimate yeah, conclusion. I mean, yeah, they they are lying to her. But and what she says, she doesn't come admit any revelation. She says, "Look, here are the facts. Here's the evidence." And she and she volunteers that yes, maybe she was delusional because given the evidence, that is definitely a possibility. And if given that she doesn't know the yes. facts, wouldn't scientists to the end? Yes, would, yeah, wouldn't you? Of course. And and that's shown as a defeat. Like James Woods, like aha, you admit it. But she's like, well, yeah, like that's. I think you you're know. being too kind to the film, though. I don't think the film. The the end of the book, without giving away the end of the book, is she goes and checks a uh, universal constant that she's told about, mm -hmm. and is basically able to generate a you know essentially a proof that she was there that doesn't rely on the other evidence. There is hope for that, not just in the scene with with James Woods and Angela Bassett at the end, but when she is she comes out, she is a hero to the people who are outside yeah. and they yeah. believe oh, her. Yeah. Right? Because, because they believe they believe her because they'll take you know, they're they are not scientists. They are just going with the emotional journey and she's like, I you know, I thought I saw this thing. Of course everyone's gonna believe her. Like that's nothing to do with science, it has to do with just yes, the public will be swayed by a good story. I went through this thing, I had this amazing story. Of course people and then half the, you know, realistically half the world wouldn't believe her and hate her because she's a woman. Right. But whatever. Like this is a this is a hopeful Zemeckis version of America where most people <laughs> believe her as a hero and don't actually want to kill her. Which is what we really uh, <laughs> My positive read on it would be when she is given the moment in front of the committee to once again replay what she did before and profess her belief that this absolutely happened, she refuses, right? And she says, Right, because she can't. I can't prove it. I can tell you that I was there, but you're right. I can't prove it. In that way, she's being true to herself. And that part of it, I like. Mm -hmm. It's not yes. that. I don't like that the movie puts her in that position because I feel like the movie is trying to say, to say huh? Yeah. See, science and religion are the same, aren't they? And that part bugs me. And then it's undercut by the fact that, oh, but actually the sciences, they do have proof. I don't think the movie is saying that. I think the movie is is in the same way that Fight Club is subversive in this way and that people can come away from Fight Club believing that Tyler Durden is super cool and he was right about everything, but the movie is not saying that. I think it's subversive that the movie presents you with the little carrot in front of you saying, latch onto this and you'll think science and religion are the same. But that's not what the movie is saying is all, at all. And it's undercutting that for people who are willing to see it. The same way people think Total Recall that he actually went to Mars, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> this, is, this is much more... <laughs> This is much more cut and dried than, than Total Recall. And I'm <laughs> like, totally with you. He never went to Mars. No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, it's right there in the movie. But anyway, yeah. like I like subversive movies like that that reward exactly the viewership who would most appreciate this being the case and allows everyone else to enjoy this as a bubblegum Zemeckis movie where wacky things happen. Like, I appreciate it as entertainment for that reason. Not just because, oh, how would you get it made otherwise or whatever, but just because if a religious person watches this and has a good experience with the movie, I think the movie is better for it. Right. I, now, you could have a much more strident movie about atheism, but it would not have this budget and it would not be directed by Robert Zemeckis. And that's what I appreciate about this movie. It is a big budget sci fi feel good movie with good actors that is palatable to everybody that has that Zemeckis charm where every scene is interesting and fun and well shot and everybody can enjoy it. And also, by the way, it's literally the only movie that makes atheists feel good about them. So what leaves me cold <laughs> about this movie's treatment of religion in regards to science is not the fact, and this is this is why I'm, I'm frustrated by it, it's not the fact that asking about our place in the universe isn't something where science and religion both kind of like come together in a way and you end up with philosophical or spiritual or religious questions about the, you know why why we're here and are we alone and all of that my frustration is that it continually continually conflates um matthew mcconaughey's visions 
with Jodie Foster's uh, a belief that she needs to keep trying to find the truth of whether we're alone in the universe using science. And I don't think they are remotely the same, but the movie treats them as if they are thematically. Mm-hmm. And I just reject that. I, I think that science is science. It's not religion. But the movie recognizes that most people treat those the same. I don't know if the movie agrees, but the movie knows that most mm. people think that way. And so that's like, it, it's, it's a subtle distinction, mm. but I don't agree with that reading at all. Sean. A, a lot of this movie has a very dim view of both the public and government. Government <laughs> is seen as evil and self-interested yeah. and the public is seen as dumb and not able to understand complicated things like and you know it's it has a dim view of every literally everybody except for the scientists in this movie which is again a rarity that the scientists are the heroes here but again there this movie's dim view of the public may actually be optimistic their dim view of government it has a level of evil incompetence that is a thing that mostly only exists in movies you know or the x-files where there's these government conspiracies competent government conspiracies with <laughs> intelligent motivated actors like it's a thing that doesn't really happen but it, it 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 is a movie device and that movie device is there to take away you know like if that scene was longer she would have said run the experiment again send somebody else try it with the, like there's a million yeah. things that you can do the movie it has the movie has to end right again it's called contact right and so that scene undercuts her by not allowing her to say those semi-obvious things but Somewhat realistically, you know how the people asking the questions in these hearings kind of control the flow, and she's also not good at this type of thing. If you watch someone get grilled with the rules of like when you're allowed to talk and reclaiming my time and all that, it's not actually easy to get out a coherent statement, especially if you're emotionally distraught like she was. So I give it some license. I don't know. I agree with Jason. I think it's a cowardly ending because it doesn't have to. And again, because the book, I can see the model running in parallel in the book. And I think the book does a far better job of figuring out how to thread that needle because the book and I, there may have been issues about the script and how it could get made, but I still don't think that does not make the ending better because it's more palatable and maybe what they did. But I, I think they could have given her a certainty. There could have been a confirmation for her as opposed to the super observer of the uh, yep. of the watch I mean, we know like, the character doesn't get a conclusion that's the saddest part is when she's out there with talking talking to the kids and saying well we don't know like she was screwed over by the government she's right? gaslit at the end where we and, as the watch they, never, the they never tell her they never apparently they never bring her in on and say oh by the way we had an 18 hours and we know static. we've watched the movie so uh, you know as movie watchers we get the satisfaction knowing it but i, I think that's the only un- that's the biggest unfair thing that happens to her is that and i don't think the movie treats that as being unfair well, they'd have the sequel would open with her learning that, and then the sequel would be called Contact Two, more contact, and then she, more contact. <laughs> she got to go in the machine. She got to hear from the aliens. That, yeah, like, she she this, got her her inner emotional journey. This is you know that we we're looking at the long range picture here, and so she you know she's not. It would be weird to like have contact part two return to vega or whatever they'd be like we didn't we didn't invite you back yet um and i do i don't know i i i liked that this movie made the point at least that certain things cannot be proved and whether you're a scientist or a man of the cloth without the cloth like you know i my favorite part of this movie, at least the thing that I remembered the most and often uh, quote to other people is like, did you love your father? Then prove it. Like, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a very important point to make that the certain things that you care about and you feel are, there's no way you're going to prove them. And, 
and that's okay. I mean, that that's, that's doesn't undermine science and it doesn't under, you know, science doesn't necessarily undermine uh, faith in something. So Jane is a perfect example who's someone who is getting something from the movie that the 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 movie makers wanted you wanted you to get from it but that mm -hmm. uh, you know to give the opposite example that's the line that made me gag the most this movie has something for everybody (laughs) well Well, don't no gaslighting of me you know i just i know what i thought like you know when i i saw it and i'm not i'm not anti-atheism and i'm not a, a particularly like religious person at all i just thought but i am somebody who sometimes says enough with the empiricism not everything can be proved in a laboratory and sometimes we have to take certain things you know take you know i mean using the word anecdotal is always i think in our circles like a a kind of a you know it's an insult and you know that's not real evidence but sometimes it is palmer joss says that line right and that's he would totally say that. like he wrote books on this right so it is, it is yeah. perfectly in keeping with his character to say that and it is perfectly in keeping that it would it would knock her off guard and she would have to think her way around it like i think i think yeah. that is a good character moment in the movie and it's like it's a proxy for the audience because the audience you know the audience is going to be struggling with these same things because most of the audience is not going to identify with our weirdo Jodie Foster so having Palmer Joss in there I just disagree that your measure of what the audience you know that's going into contact and who they are like maybe you're being a little uh, um, a little too negative about you know they're not that stupid necessarily they're going to see contact after all <laughs> I think this is a movie for everybody though like I don't think this is a like I th- that's why I say this is like a blockbuster movie like I think this is it's, it's like back to the future which is obviously has a sci-fi premise but it's basically a movie for everybody and I think contact falls into that category that even though it is nerdy and they do like anybody can watch this I wouldn't say oh you have to like sci-fi movies I think this is no that's true. you know right it's very broad and very well done and like sort of right up the middle right because their mm-hmm. arrival for example i would not put in that category i would say well if you're not into sci-fi arrival may be a little bit too weird for you but this one yeah. has that has that zemeckis touch i just want to bring up as a final thing on on the science side is i don't think religion is given as long a shrift as science is so i think religion is given a lot of straw man ar- arguments in the form of palmer joss who doesn't necessarily represent a great theological point of view. And if you it's brought a bit in, of a charlatan. Yeah, if you brought in yes. somebody, right, he's a he's a mass market person. He's an Oprah Book Club guy. He seems very sympathetic and so forth. But, you know, Jodie Foster, the scientific accuracy of the movie or the credibility to which they approach it uh, and, and give seriousness to those characters, I think if they had done the same thing, everybody religious in the movie is like that hapless priest when she's a child, when Ellie's a child. Um, mm-hmm. If they brought the same seriousness of kind of discussing, you know, not once it's become a theological movie, but I think there is a, a layer at which they set up a straw man of a certain kind of theological argument that is very simple and is not necessarily as nuanced or complicated or interesting as many theological arguments about, you know, sort of uh, uh, epistemology and so forth are. So it, to contrast that, you've got Jodie Foster who had this, or sorry, Ellie uh, uh, Airway who has this actual experience and goes through it. And so at the end, you're like, well, the straw man is, we know she did it. We know that the that she's being lied to. She doesn't know that they don't have proof of it. And it's set up as a religious scenario, when in fact, I don't think it's fair, like I said, I don't think it's fair to religion to set it up with that those arguments. Not that it should be fair or balanced, but... The movie concentrates heavily on the the resolution of her emotional arc with the loss of her yeah, father, which I think yeah. like I think that was and a wise fair. decision. Like, mm-hmm. like that is the core. Like, there is the science and religion stuff that we're latching onto, but really, 
the reason she's at peace with herself by the end of the movie is because finally the hole in her heart from her dad dying and her mom dying and her mm-hmm. pursuing this career to oh, try to fair. fill that hole has been fulfilled. So I, I mean, in some ways it's like, oh, she's been undercut. She's being lied to. But she is content by the end of the movie because her character arc had completed. Her her emotional journey had completed. And so although scientifically it's not satisfactory, especially since we as the audience know she's being lied to, she seems happy and at peace and not with Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm bugged by the um, conflation of science and religion in this movie, it's because, you know, Matthew McConaughey says, Ellie, we're just both searching for truth. Uh, you know, but the difference is he's searching like, for, yeah, for truth. True. He's searching for truth by wandering around and thinking and writing books. She's searching for truth by getting evidence that it's real. These searches are are not the same and saying <laughs> oh well you know i thought i talked to god you thought you talked to your father therefore these we two things are interchangeable they're not tomato galaxy tomato i think it's insulting but <laughs> I, I think glenn is right this movie does not want to have a real theologian point of view at all anywhere in this movie which is, which is unfair but that's not what this movie is if this conversation has taught us anything despite what david said i think contact is worth a watch because it has a lot of interesting things to chew on and ponder I and i didn't uh, say it wasn't worth the watch i just said it felt long it, it and it I is like two and it. a half hours i long. like it okay so, okay we've broken david now so it's time to go we've broken him down <laughs> that's okay matthew mcconaughey is waiting for you in the car it's fine oh god no <laughs> all right all right all right David, welcome. Is it a Lincoln? David, he's he's waiting for you with Cosmos in the car. You can just drink them on the way. Worth a watch. Uh, and was fun to revisit on its 23rd anniversary. Why? I don't know. Why? It's just because I wanted to watch it because I couldn't believe <laughs> sure. we didn't it's do a prime number. It's time. So, it's a prime number. There you go. Yeah. It was time. Uh, so I'd like to thank my guests for joining me to talk about it. David J. Lore, thank you. Thank you. Time enough at last. I have nothing funny. Uh, Glenn Fleischman, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to go reread the book now, I think. Yeah, I'm going to read the book, which I have not read. Uh, Jane McDonald, thank you. I have also not read the book, and I'm very interested. Um, uh, Thank you, because you don't really often get to have such a delightful conversation about science and religion. And so everybody survived. We've all got our limbs. We're all okay. (laughs) That's right. Well, we got rid of the chairs. And John Syracuse, it's okay. We didn't agree about Arrival either. Yeah, well, all I can say is that this movie is not an awful waste of space. Ah, uh, well said, well said. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there. I hope that this podcast has not been an awful waste of space as well. We'll be back next week with another episode. If it was, then I guess try again next week. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.